We're back. Welcome to uh, Red Pill Podcast, Season 2. Sorry for the delay. Um, things have been busy. We've been upgrading. We're fully mic'd up and we're um, ready to go. Hey, Gemma. Hey, Phil. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Very, very well. It's good to have you back. It's very nice to be back. So we thought we'd kick off season two with a bit of a question and answer. We are lucky enough to be joined by some of the Red Pill coach team. Um, Ashley, Paul, Cyril and Steve Fawcett are in the building and they're going to lead the podcast for us. Um, They've been researching and they've been out talking to coaches and they've got some of the poignant and important questions from the coaches and they're going to be leading the podcast asking us what our thoughts and theories and concepts are and we're going to be doing our best to answer them. Are we ready for the challenge team? Absolutely. Always. Good, good. So let's start with you, Ash. Um, Where does your question come from and um, what what is your question? Uh, My question comes from a lot of processes all over the world in terms of programming. How do you trade off the repetition required for progressive overload against practicing the randomness of competition in a CrossFit comp- uh, setting? I feel like you should take this, Jess. Me too. <laughs> Great question. Um, comes down to what the goal of the training is, what the point of the season is and the phases leading into training. They don't need, if if competition is the goal, they don't need the randomness all year round. Um, Randomness comes closer to those competitions that ends. So yeah, the rest of the time it's working on the specific energy systems that need to be done, the movement development, skill development in that progressive overload fashion. Um, It's then when you get to the the competition, you have that period of block, I call it a replication phase, where now you are doing CrossFit. Um, It's a big psychological thing for the athletes to go through uh, because they feel that they need to be doing CrossFit. But it's like, how are you going to replicate? It's like saying, tell me what the lottery numbers are. You don't know what combinations they're going to do, so you're never going to get it right. So why waste waste time trying to think of a million different combinations when it's like well we know that that whatever it is we know that movement a sucks under these environments we work on movement a and we put it in some environments um so yeah that's yeah i just had a small point there i think that the the trade-off, as Jassy talking about, you you need to work on things individually to better them. Mm. Uh, a lot of the things that are done that are done tired will create the negative patterns or the injuries and the problems. So there's definitely, as as Jassy is, is saying, is an important element is breaking the sport down and getting good at the individual elements of the sport. I think just from a psychological point of view, that CrossFit's fun. And people enjoy CrossFit and they like CrossFit, and so. Keeping the element of fun in training is very, very important. So sometimes I think our programming would, would would sacrifice a little bit. I'd give a little bit in program design to keep the athlete with a smile, uh, to keep them enjoying the workout. And ultimately the communication backwards and forwards with the athlete would drive that. Um, there's not necessarily a need 
eight months before competition to be doing any competition training but we'd put it in purely just because they like doing it and it's fun um, so I think that's the trade off and as you get closer and closer to events then you start to blend the movements and you start to blend the movements together and it's a gradual blending process it's just like mixing paints you know you start with two colours and then you pour them in and as you pour the paint in you see the sort of the, the, the original colour on the outside and the small colour in the middle and then you start to stir and they become a different colour or the same the changes colour and I think that's how we sort of start with two paint pots here and then gradually blend blend the paints and the colours together up and towards towards the CrossFit season and that's that's a headache but a lot of fun don't you think it's an art form especially with paint <laughs> did you like that analogy did you like the analogy killed it nailed it i think so does that answer the question Ash? yeah that's fine thank you cool so our next question um is going to be driven by mr walls uh, where's your question from what's your name where you come from so hello i'm paul uh so the question is tailored towards the games athletes um, and how you get them to relax uh, whether that's in training or at the games you say this one John <laughs> I gotcha um, I, I think I'm happy to talk about it I'd like to talk about it in terms of training perspective I think across any sport in in, in any activity when you're talking about you're at the pinnacle of your season or the peak of your season you are either lying or very special if you're not thinking about the event the whole time. I'm not sure there would be many uh, CrossFit Games athletes that don't spend the month or two months up to the Games but it totally consumes them and totally consumes their life. I think that that's quite a natural process. And I think rather than trying to fight that process of of not of relaxing and saying, well, I'm going to try and switch off away from that. It's more embraced that that stress is there. And that is just a part of where I am at this particular time. I think where the problem goes from, goes from you get this sort of incongruence in psychology that you think it's wrong to feel this stress at this particular moment of time. Or as a coach, I have a responsibility to ask them to relax and, and come away from it and change the subject and do other things where we can go and play all the mini golf in the world they're still putting thinking about the CrossFit games and, and, and they're not going to stop that their whole life is based around that so for me it's more uh, more a point of acceptance acceptance that there's stress there's a heightened sensitivity within the body hormones are different nervous system is different training's different everything feels different and why would we want that any differently? That's how you'd want it, because it means it's important to you. Um, so dealing, dealing with it from a games perspective or, or, a, or a world championships perspective, I think it's more a question of acceptance that that's how we're going to feel and how we cope with that rather than trying to get away from that or run away from that. I think that's just an impossible task. Um, having said that then, being in that sort of aroused state for 12 months of the year, we know leads to chemical changes, we know leads to chemical stress, and we know leads to burnout and psychological burnout. So the complete opposite is true 
in, Ox in August or October, how do we get away from it and how do we how do we try to get a day a week or an hour a day or something away from the sport? Again, it comes a lot down to acceptance and acceptance, this is the type of person I am. I'm a type of person that is puts a lot of pressure on myself, wants to be the best I can, wants to work hard. So a lot of it is self-acceptance, understanding who, who you are as a person and that it means something to you. Whether you're ever, whether you're ever truly away from it, um, is a difficult question. I don't know that you are. I don't know that you're ever completely away. Even, even, even sort of myself as a coach, I don't think the pressure of having to perform and having to write programs and coach athletes to perform ever leaves me. I don't know if I ever want it to. I'd feel almost like I was cheating on the process if it did. It's more a coping strategy and a coping mechanism how I deal with that stress. Um, and that in itself is then moving away from the stress. And the strategies that we would use there is, again, recognizing when I feel the stress, when I feel the, the panic, um, when I feel the sort of headaches or, or those sorts of things, which are very normal, which is part of elite sports stress or executive stress, as it should be called, because it's from business as well. So the part one is accepting it, and then and then actually, what you do about that is making sure the stresses around that are minimised. So not having not having um, I don't know last minute food prep problems or cars breaking down or equipment not working, and I think on its own it's enough of a stress and it's a 12 month stress um, I think this is your difference between your absolute top elite athletes and your your lower down athletes is part of the job is that stress um, you just got to what we've got to try and do as coaches or our job as coaches is try and minimise all the stress around it so make sure programming is perfect make sure they're injury free make sure they're moving well make sure they know what they're eating make sure there's a structure make sure everything around their life is easy so that it is just that one stressor they're dealing with instead of family stresses, etc., uh, etc. Et um, because I don't think I think you're setting an unrealistic goal to ask someone that wants to be the best in the world to not think about it 24/7. Um, so I, I think it's more an acceptance of how do we get uh, of the stress rather than how do we get away from the stress. You're essentially trying to control the controllable, isn't aren't you? That's exactly what we're trying to do. So that anything else is a little bit more manageable. Absolutely. So anything else that they experience is a bit more manageable. Um, I imagine it's more everybody's individual in terms of each athlete is going to be very different and will cope with different stresses very differently. Some people will find it easier to manage like the weighting area of uh, the games, for example, than some people will do. And you've said about acceptance and accepting your feeling towards whatever it is you're about to go and do. And that's part of, interestingly, that's part of the mindfulness um, relaxation techniques as well, just acknowledging your feelings and then accepting them, letting them almost move past, but not trying to ignore them because you can't possibly ignore them. Well, I, think, I think ultimately that's where you see the... the, the um, it's a horrible way of saying breakdowns, but that's where you see the sort of collapsing under the pressure is when you try to... or you, you don't recognise the pressure and recognise the stress. I mean, if you look at addiction, the first, the first stage of addiction is recognising 
that you have a problem and, and essentially is a problem. It is an addiction. Wanting to be the best in the world, it has to be an addiction. It becomes an addiction. And the first stage of that is accepting that I have this problem um, and then trying to find some peace and happiness in that in that problem. Uh, and then it can be quite good fun. The pressure can, you can flip the pressure around to work for you because you accept it and, and you want it. And you actually almost like, if it's not there, you wake up and wonder where it is um, rather than it, it breaks you under the pressure. So, answer your question, Paul. Yeah. Do you require personalized programming? We have our team of Red Pill coaches available to help you with your performance needs, regardless of your competitive level. Please get in touch at redpilltraining.com. Cyril, uh, what's your question for us, buddy? Hey guys. Um, yeah, just quick question with the CrossFit Open just uh, around the corner. Um, what would be your best advice for athletes um, to be as ready as they can, um, both mentally and physically, with only a few weeks to go? Uh, probably ties in with the last topic. Like, there are a lot of people that the Open, well, the Open has a lot of importance this year now anyway, but you, um, you do see these. Um, the nerves are coming on for everybody and people are starting to get niggles and it goes back to previous podcasts that we've talked about where it's the two weeks out syndrome where you start to feel pain things don't feel as good as they should be because it's the kind of psychological gremlins coming in that are feeding parts of doubt about your performance coming in so it's almost like breathe and relax on the pains that you're feeling the the opens around the corner it's, it's quite a normal sensation um two weeks out training the work's been done like now you're just hitting the groove and and feeling should be replicating in that replication phase like we talked about where you're now hitting the wads and and going there so that, that's where where you should be at both kind of physically and then I say mentally being been aware of those things it's, it's game time go enjoy it it's fun yeah I think so I think I think the um, I think the important thing with, with the open coming up is like like you say Jess if the work's been done if it hasn't been done now then um, don't try and panic train um, I think pacing and understanding the workouts is probably going to be um, it's probably going to Siri wants to talk to me for some reason um, planning and pacing the workouts is probably going to be uh, the most important element for the guys out there um, Jaws, I wonder if you could just give us a few tips and sort of hints on on what you do when you see a workout and sort of let's just say you're under the extreme pressure of being in a big competition and somebody comes around and somebody who is in charge of the competition turns around and says okay guys in 10 minutes you're doing this workout what processes do you go through for planning and how do you look at pacing and how do you look at strategies and what can the guys do at home when they see the workout to pace it obviously first of all you need to know the 
the time. So being aware of, right, okay, is this quick workout? Is this, is this a long workout? People get keen and just regardless of workout, they go out at a pace that just will not be held by anyone for any length of time. Um, if you say Bolt could hold his pace 10 minutes, he'd be the fastest person over 10 minutes as well, but it's humanly impossible to hold that pace. So if you are moving quickly, you've probably gone too hard. Um, so that would be the first thing on the pacing strategy. Um, then looking at movements relative to you, like you can't make decisions on, like we can't do a global kind of realize it, but just the broad topic is where is your weakness in that workout? Um, been aware of that weakness and then deciding not to go too big either in the exercise before it because it's only going to hinder your weakness. Um, so it's almost being conservative in your strength to be allow you to save the time in the, the weak part of the workout. Uh, they'd be the, the two, the two main, main things. Also, if there's a, there happens to be um, a repetitive movement or repetitive stress on a certain area of the body, maybe hanging onto a gymnastic barbell, that hanging onto a gymnastic bar followed by barbell work, okay, the grip's going to be put under pressure, um, then being associating your tactics based off, off, well, yeah, that's only going to affect, if I hold onto the barbell too long there, it's going to affect my ability to do the gymnastics and making those kind of decisions. So that's a really good point, Jazz. Because what we seem to find and what I tend to see is that people that have been training in CrossFit for, say, a couple of years want to take part in the Open. They want to sort of see where they, they sort of measure up. And then they go in and have no idea really how to pace their workouts. And then they're much more likely to get like blown out much easier or sort of injured. How would you say to that sort of clientele to try and pace their workout when they're looking at workout? Where, where would you sort of... There. I'd say the, the three key points would be however fast, what, whatever pace you're thinking of starting at, it's probably too quick. So slow it down. You want to finish the workout faster at the end. It's not how quickly you start, it's how quickly you finish. So if you can't push the pace at the end, then you know you've gone too, too fast too quickly. So that would be the main one on the pacing. Uh, would then just be going, what movements are you good at in that workout? If, it's, if you've got a good movement and you've got a bad movement, then go easy on, e calm yourself down on what you're good at so that you can attack what you're weak at. Because you'll just take away, go too hard before your weakness, it'll go. I think that's just a really good point, Nettie, is that you hear a lot of the time is or the sort of the natural sense isn't it that that's what I'm good at so that's where I need to make up time and you almost feel like an internal pressure there because this is my jam this is where I'm going to catch people this is where I'm going to improve at but it actually ends up just having a quite a negative consequence on the next movement which might be a weakness and you see people there potentially trying to do something unbroken when actually that's much slower than taking a little break and going back again picking up the bar and I think, I think there's a, a, a lot of wisdom in breaking up a strength, which is goes missed in CrossFit. 
think, think people go, right, that's my strength, let's kill myself. Um, breaking up a strength and being completely fresh for the weakness might be quite a clever tactic in certain circumstances. For sure. I've seen it work a lot. So, so just, just, to, just to recap and sort of answer Cyril's, Cyril's question, I'm at home, I'm starting the Open next week, and I want to, I know the announcement's coming Thursday night, and I want to prepare, and I want to do the best possible job Friday. What are the three things I need to be ready? What do I need to prepare? What is to be ready? How am I going to plan my workout? What are the three key points to that? Have I said I'm already? <laughs> Just we're, we're, recap again. We're recapping. Recapping again. So, key point. Start slow, finish fast. Pace your strength. Attack your weakness. Great. Top work, buddy. Thank you. So we have a... Our next question is a... Uh, Mr. Fawcett has a question. I think it's directly for you, Jaws, actually. Um, One of the favourites. Favourite question in the CrossFit world. So Steve has said... How do how does the Nordic curl fit into the functional continuum? The functional continuum. So a little bit of explanation about functional continuum, maybe first. So yes, the functional continuum, as designed by Philip Mansfield, circa two thousand and five, we think. Is that right? <laughs> I'll take it. Buddy. Good we'll yeah. take, it. take it. Yeah. Um, so the functional continuum is basically uh, a continuum. And that continuum, <laughs> we decide what, we have to look at the sport. To understand the sport, we can then decide what skills are necessary within required for that sport. Then boiling it down into exercises and going, right, if I've got a sprinter, which exercise looks a lot more like sprinting? Would it be a lunge or would it be a squat? Well, a lunge looks a lot more like sprinting, therefore that would be more functional for sprinting in that case. Whereas if we've got an Olympic lifter, the squat would be more functional for the Olympic lifter. So where does the Nordic hamstring curl fit on that? Because it's an isolated muscle, what we'd call an isolated muscle exercise, in terms of functionality, it's, it's not teaching the body to understand particularly how to use the hamstring in a coordinated muscular contraction. Because when we're moving dynamically, we've got lots of muscles that have to show that into an intramuscular coordination to execute the skill. Uh, that isn't present in an Nordic hamstring curl because it's pretty much just isolating that. So first box that's kind of not ticked is the fact that it's isolating the hamstrings out relative to all the other muscles. Does that being said, does strengthening the hamstring, does it help improve athletic performance, yep, there's enough studies out there to say that they have increased areas of performance by doing that. What we're deciding as coaches is 
is it valid use of my time within the program? Could I be doing something better, something more worthwhile that will help transfer over? Um, it's a shame we've not got um, two, two guys, uh, Will and Shane, in the room because they, they use the Nordic hamstring curl a lot within the professional sports team that they, that they work at. Um, it's used as a marker of fatigue. Um, and then that marker of fatigue, or, well, or strength, and believe that that having a certain value on that Nordic hamstring curl will limit your ability to get injured. And what it's showing is that they've got some of the guys that have the strongest hamstrings in the club. They've got the strongest Nordic hamstring curl, and they're still tearing their hamstring. And that's where there's a discrepancy in its in its use and its validity even though there's studies to show the validity then the lines become a bit blurred and there's not always that clarity on what they should do there it just to, just on that point is we've actually got a podcast coming up with shane and will uh, where we're going to be talking specifically about football and conditioning in football so it's just a plug for a for, a, for an episode coming up shortly i'd also just like to jump in there a little bit and I, jim i know you've got an opinion on this um I think, you're, I think you're being kind. Um, the research isn't great. The statistical research isn't great that Nordics work. It's born out of a misconception that eccentric strength helps function. And as you rightly say, the, the, the injury rates are still going up. But in the studies, mate, 60% of the time, it works every time. <laughs> That's what a study um, says. And I think it's, it's, one, it's poorly quoted research, um, and, and I think it's just, I think it's just, I mean, just to qualify and say, the, the functional continuum means anything's possible and anything is right, and, and we're not gonna say we don't do this, we shouldn't do that, because it's just, that's just stupidity. But at the same time, the concept that making something stronger in a completely unrelated function has enough carryover to help is faulty and flawed and, and, is, and as you say, injury rates are going up. You know, the, the good thing with professional sports clubs is they track everything, they track injury rates and they're not improving. They're not going up and it's time we stop just throwing strength at everything and saying, well, we just need to make it stronger and it fixes it. Understanding what the, the hamstring actually is doing during function, because at no point during function do we have knee extension with hip extension. You know, as, as the knee flexes, the hip flexes. So we've got the, the, the shortening from one end and the lengthening from the other end and they're compensatory factors. And there's more research to demonstrate that than there is that anecdotally or statistically the limited papers on Nordics or Copenhagen's for that point are are poorly pre represented and, and poorly applied within sports clubs. And the eccentric sort of side of things came from something that was done years and years ago with tendinopathies in ankles and we've just extrapolated that information out and applied it to every other area and so even the basis of the information might not be necessarily applied to that that body part, for example. So, like Achilles tendon is not the same as a hamstring tendon. 
the Achilles, the Alfredson Protocol, which is where the eccentric work came from, was because somebody was trying to rupture their Achilles tendon. That's where this, the information came from to begin with. And now we've suddenly, even how many years, I don't know how many years, but probably 20 years down the line, we're still doing eccentric work for strength I without mean, <coughs> maybe the basis for it. I mean, well, the, guy, the guys are using, well, so Will and Shane, the, it's also turned into isometrics now as well. Right. So it's just, it seems to be just doing a cycle of, cycle of the different types of contraction. It's either yeah. eccentric, it's isometric. I'm sure there'll be a concentric phase at some point. Um, yeah, um, they seem to want to have this, it's one or the other, depending on where the studies are at that point in time. And that's seem, seems to be going the, back to the what's in vogue. Yeah, exactly. And going back to the, the continuum, something is always better than nothing. So you, that is going to potentially improve strength, isn't it? The same as, well, yeah, exactly. Something is better than nothing. Doing nothing is not going to improve strength. Doing something will do. And you're slightly further along that continuum, but you're nowhere near what the exercise looked like. So an isometric contraction, where is that in running or sprinting? In well, the hamstring. Exa exactly, and that's your argument in football is, so they've seen the, the, reduce, the reduction of injury rates from doing them, but football's notoriously not really had much S&C over time anyway. So initially you saw the, an initial reduction maybe in that introduction point, but now that they've been there for years, we're now seeing an increase. So it's, it's kind of like, because they went from nothing, because football is very conservative when it comes to strength and conditioning compared to like rugby, for example. I think it's just important to, to bring, up, bring, you, bring, up on a, bring you up you know, up on a point there, buddy, is that um, the study, the study they, they did showed an improvement in injuries. Football didn't show it. I think it's very important to make a differentiation there mm. is th that you're saying there that they showed that initially it, it helped solve injury it didn't their paper did and the limited cohort they used yeah, in how that many paper did they use, do you know? I can't remember it. I, I, I've got the statistics I'll yeah. we'll bring uh, when we did the when we do the football podcast we'll make sure we're, we're better prepared with that I didn't know this question was coming Sorry. unfortunately um, so in that paper that is better but football injuries or injuries in sport grow year on year. So let's, let's not sit and argue it, let's just say what's, we're doing something wrong. And continuing to do the same thing is just stupidity. We've got to look at it and say, okay, let's say Joust is wrong and our systems don't work, that's fine. But why haven't you changed the system? Because your injuries are getting, your injury rate prevalences are getting worse every year. So something needs to change. Um, Good. I think that covers that from yep. from the hamstrings point of view. I think we should perhaps do a podcast on the hamstrings. I think it's such a world talked about. And what are you going to say, Jim? Can you also do one on the adductors? Yeah, but you're on the podcast, mate. Yeah. So, I know. So, <laughs> can we also do? So one on we the can adductors? also do one on the adductors. Excellent. Um, um, yeah, because there's a new protocol that's come out for adductor tendinopathy and footballers which I'd like to discuss. Where does it come from? British, uh, British Journal of Sports Medicine. Okay. Let's, um, let's do an adductor hamstring podcast. Can't wait. Um, let's go at it um, and see where it ends. Um, Paul, your second. Do you have any more questions? Anything we... Or, or you guys, what, what's the next? Uh, no, what was the 
Right. We'll, we'll pass it on to Ash. Um, I'd like to know more about your approach to testing your athletes because you hear a lot about testing your strength isn't building your strength. You don't want to max out too often because it's not actually giving you a stimulus to get better. So how do you balance baselining and assessing improvement against actual training that's improving performance in the long term? Wonderful question. I think the way Joust is looking at me, it looks like I'm taking that one. Whichever, mate. Yeah. All good. You just jump in. Um, well, I, I can speak personally here. Um, and what I do, I don't do any testing. I don't do any specific testing. Um, and I know there's a lot of people who've listened to that and think I'm on a fool's errand and think that it's not the right way to, to do it. Um, I think the only... Um, the only testing we do do is sort of uh, some athletes like a body fat measurement, <laughs> um, not for any other purpose, and they it gives them a bit of confidence. Uh, it's funny enough that they don't like it in off season. Um, they never tend to ask for it in off season. But so the only the only I'll reluctantly do for them is when they're in peak shape and they can see their abs and everything's good. They want to know what their body fat is. Um, so I'll let you psycho psychoanalyze that. Um, <laughs> But in terms of actual physical testing, look, we're lucky enough in our in our position. I know you guys are working with normal, everyday CrossFitters and you're making big differences with everyday CrossFitters where where we're fortunate enough to be sort of one-to-one -one with our, our athletes. We, we spend more time with our athletes than we do with our families. Um, and so we're getting that live feedback every workout, every day, just keep it simple four sets of eight back squat on the program tomorrow and they're going in they're doing four sets of eight back squat and I've got we've done eight back squats 60 times in the last two years and today it's 20 kilos under where it was six months ago I've got my feedback and I've got my strategy there or it comes instantly to me um, same as it's, it's very funny when they when they set a PR or a PB as we say in the British Isles um, when they set a PR they They'll, you'll get a message or you'll get a video or there'll be a, oh that's the, the most that's my 8 rep PR um, and they're very good at filling out their training diaries you get feedback every single day of every single movement and we put ring muscle ups in and their old record they all know their records their old record was 9 and I say do a 1 max set as part of a gymnastics pyramid for example and they do 11 you see progress and, and, and we as coaches will track that we as coaches will have the data behind us and and roughly know where we want them to be for that exercise. And especially in CrossFit is the fact that there's, how would you test CrossFit? You know, rather, other than for, for our guys, rather than doing the games once a month, you wouldn't know where you are anyway. You'd only be able to break them down into their individual elements. And then you'd say, okay, let's go to a squat. And would you test a one rep or would you test a, a 10 rep? Um, and I think one of the biggest issues in CrossFit now is the people think is about strength um, and being strong and one rep you know one rep strength stuff accounts for 10 percent of crossfit at that level so finding testing protocols and procedures would be very difficult anyway um and it wouldn't be as they've got was they've done for the, since they were 15 years old you know and and they know if they're improving they know they usually get this on that time and i think that live data is is more beneficial less stressful for the athlete than putting through testing pr protocols and procedures. 
Yeah, it's, I think the problem with testing as well is it's only a snapshot in time. Mm. So it's that one point. And in the sport of CrossFit, you've got so many skills that you need to test. Like at that moment in time, yeah, you might have not done much cardio. So guess what? Your cardio's down, but your strength's up. So does that mean you need to flip the program around? Yes, it probably does. But does it need to be done right now? Well, that's dependent on the season. So therefore the testing, you know, when you've planned out that season, you know where you want certain certain element components of CrossFit to be at those certain points. So almost testing is, testing regularly is irrelevant. Cause it's like, well, I know that that's going to be down because I've not been, we're not, the focus isn't there right now. So the, the test is the competition. Like we get there, did we get it right? Yes or no. And yes, we're seeing, like I say, that day-to-day tracking, we're seeing the elements go up where we want them to go up, when we want them to go up. Key is, can we get that? beautiful blend at the end and the end result the other thing as well and our next podcast is going to be on the the changes in CrossFit and the sanctional season and how everything's going and, and we're going to be discussing that and the other thing which you know as you're going to find out I love the changes I think they're the best thing that ever happened um, and there you're getting live feedback in the fact you're going to competition you know we're, we're not we're not stupid enough to say, well, we're going to try and win every competition and everything we go to, we're going to try and win. We're, we're going, right, okay, where is our training? Where is our market? Let's go out and get some live live feedback. And nothing is more live feedback than coming second or third or tenth or first in a workout. You know, you sort of get to feel it and see where you are. And that's, for me, one of the great sides of the sanctionals is we get an opportunity to actually get out and race and see what we're working on. And it might have been we're working on a gymnastics phase and the gymnastic side of the workouts, we see huge improvements in workouts. And yes, okay, maybe the snatch isn't quite where we wanted it to be at that time, but that doesn't matter because that's the live feedback we're going for at that particular time. So I think the changes to the season has, has helped that and helped that massively, being able to get some sort of live competition feedback, which was missing before. Yeah. You know, there's no other sport in the world with just two competitions a year. Um, now having the, the multiple competitions is, is moving it in line with professional sport, I think but we'll, we'll cover more of that on the, on the next podcast. Um, Cyril, any, any other questions um, from the... Yeah, just, just a quick question. Um, we know you guys um, work with elite athletes quite a lot, but do you guys work as well with more recreational or uh, yeah, just competitive athletes that like to compete on the weekend, things like that? Well, we, I mean, we're not so good at uh, explaining it. We have Team Red Pill, um, and Team Red Pill is a mix of coaches, therapists, and athletes of all levels. Um, and I think sometimes, especially with the, the way we look, um, maybe Joust and I look a little bit dangerous. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> But um, actually, you know, the, we we have a we have a plethora of um, of of normal average CrossFitters, and I think to, I'm going to be completely honest. Um, they give a wonderful balance to the life. Um, it's actually quite nice to have a normal conversation. Not that I don't love my elite guys, uh, but it's actually just quite nice every now and again to have an athlete come in and say wife was giving me a bit of trouble yesterday or didn't train very well because the kid was up throwing up all night which is which is quite a nice break and, and on that side ha- having the opportunity to work with you guys um, and have you guys working with with those normal athletes and supporting you guys and helping you guys deliver and 
sort of prescribed great programming is, is a huge element for us and it, I mean, we get a lot from that I, get, I actually get just as much from that as from the elite guys Joust yeah completely I love helping people with pain that haven't been able to do stuff for years to yeah giving people small goals it's also as a coach people making gains regardless of where the start point is and what the end point is is the joy of the joy of the job really that's why I do it helping people yeah absolutely that's the majority of my um, yeah my day to day is working with people that aren't necessarily going to end up at the games but just want to work hard every day or work hard every week um, and have small goals in training that ultimately make a big difference to their weekend or their week or their month or whatever it might be and they just want to participate in sport so certainly that's the biggest probably portion of my workload Cyril's the face, by the way. So we, this is the radio, but Cyril is one of our team Red Pill, and he's he's also known as the face. He's the good-looking one. Um, so when we do a, when we do a kind of visual <laughs> podcast, when we get into the Joe Rogan territory, I think I think I'll step back. I'm quite happy to step back. I know I know my level. Um, <laughs> So, radio. So you're probably, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely just radio material. Well, Cyril can be uh, come on board, I think. Um, it's good to be back on the podcast scene. It's nice to be here, nice to be going again. Sorry for the delay, guys. Um, got some exciting casts coming up soon. Uh, we've got an interview with Sam Briggs. We have uh, the football podcast where we're going to bring the guys in and talk football. We have the new CrossFit season, what we're going to be looking at inside the CrossFit season and much, much more. Uh, Thanks for listening and um, train hard.